All right, we continue. Oh no, y'all better be careful with that. I'm going to come to expect it. Then. <laughs> That's right, wait till I preach before you decide if you want me back. But <laughs> we thank you though, thank you. It's, it is good to be back home. This is a unique place, a unique place. We continue our series, The Life of Jesus. The guys did a great job. I was here two services and, and heard about the others. So thank you for supporting all the other guys. We have quite a capable staff, don't we? And you know what? Everybody understands it isn't, it isn't our personalities, it's God's Word. It's not our voices, it's the worship of our Lord and Savior. Very different perspective. So take out your message guide and take out the outline within as we continue our series called The Life of Jesus. Y'all been keeping up all summer? How about reading ahead? Remember I said try to read the whole thing. Oh, I don't see too many heads shaking there. <laughs> so you need to read it verse by verse, section by section, but then try to read over. You get a different perspective at, by reading at different paces. The title of today's message is Invitation. And we are on reading 164, which is page 192. This passage is referred to as the parable of the wedding feast, or as it is in, in our book, The Wedding Banquet. And Jesus told this parable, which is a story with a spiritual meaning, at the temple on Wednesday morning of Passover week. Now, this is one day before he's arrested. The next day would be Passover, the Passover supper would be observed, and then that night he would be arrested. Crucifixion would follow the next morning. The audience that he was speaking to directly was specifically these religious leaders who had challenged his authority, who had doubted his identity, who had plotted his death. But he's also speaking to the assembled Jewish crowd who has gathered to listen. They're still curious, but then he speaks through them to us as well. Everything written in the scripture was written for us. Now realize you have to understand the context and make an adjustment to the present day, but everything in the scripture has an application for us today. And Jesus knew he was speaking to an audience that would not assemble for thousands of years. More than three years now, Jesus has been teaching the gospel of the kingdom proclaiming himself as the Messiah, telling Jews how they could truly enter the kingdom of heaven by trusting in him, which they resented and rejected. Jesus was still popular with the masses. They were impressed by the way he spoke, by his straightforward authoritative teaching. They were still awed by the miracles, but they had almost had a a sideshow carnival feel. They wanted to see him do something. But when they realized that he had no plans to deliver them from the oppressive Romans, they abandoned him. So we're going to consider this parable, the king's invitation. The theme verse is found at the end of this passage. For many are invited, but few are chosen. But I'll deal with that at the end of the message. So first we see 
that the king's invitation is refused by many. We're beginning at Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven, that's synonymous with the kingdom of God, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Now, who does the king represent? Yeah, who does the son represent? Now, those are kind of obvious for us, aren't they? Who are the invited guests, though? No, we're not yet. Who? Jews. Jews. His chosen people, Israel. These are the ones who were initially invited. In fact, the Jews believed that the kingdom of heaven was reserved exclusively for them. And perhaps a few Gentile converts to Judaism, but no one else. They believed that the Messiah's arrival would be accompanied by a great banquet prepared by God for his people. So this theme is very familiar to Jews. Jesus is challenging their understanding, however, because he's been teaching that the kingdom of God is a spiritual community of people. And they are people who are redeemed by their trust and their faith in him. Not merely a gathering of the descendants of Abraham. Now a royal wedding feast in this culture would have gone on for weeks. I don't know how they afforded it. You know, I have a daughter who will be married in October. It's a frightening thing. But anyway, he's a king, so I guess he could pull it off. But this would be a lavish, elaborate celebration. It would last for several weeks and would include a marriage ceremony, but also there would be meals and festivities and singing and celebration. And above all, all the guests would move in with the king. So everyone would live there. (laughs) So it was a great honor. So you were invited not only to attend a ceremony, but you were invited to move in with the king and live with him for weeks and eat many meals there. So he sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet. But they didn't want to come. Now, who are the slaves? You have an idea? Well, the slaves, remember, were those who were, were sent by God to lead Israel to him. So first it was the patriarchs. And who were the patriarchs? Y'all are quiet. I think the rest of these pastors didn't lean into y'all very much, did they? You said, well, no, they're nicer to us than you are. Yeah, but I'm trying to teach, see. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the forerunners. Then the priest. Then the prophets, these were all, these were the early slaves, they're called, or servants, sent by God to the people to lead them, to lead Israel to him. Now imagine if you received this invitation. How would you feel? It'd be a great honor, wouldn't it? but, But it was a great honor to be invited, but it was an even graver offense to refuse it. Because you see, these people who are invited are the king's subjects. So this 
invitation carries with it an implied what? Obligation. Obligation. The first invitation represents God's call to his chosen people. It began, as I said, with the patriarchs, with the covenant of Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. But also to the, through the law that was given through Moses to the people. And see, the, the covenant laid out God's promises to the people. The law laid out their obligations to him. And they, all, they agreed to obey all the obligations. But the Jews were God's treasured possession. The Hebrew word is segula. They were chosen by him. They were, not because they were populous or powerful, but they were in fact small and weak. And God chose them to be his own. Hosea 11.1, 1, Amos 3.2. So these people are dear to God. So imagine this rejection of his invitation. Because it represents the nation's abandonment of God. After Israel disobeyed God, he sent them many other opportunities to repent repeatedly. To return to him through numerous warnings that were issued by a series of prophets and then by kings but they continued to resist and rebel the king's invitation you'll see is rejected for selfish reasons look at verse 4 again he sent out other slaves and said Tell those who were invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. The arrangements are done. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. A second invitation is issued. Now these other slaves and this second invitation, who does it include? Jevia Lynn? Now's the time for you to give that answer. It includes us. The first one was to the Jews. The second one was to us. And it went out through John the Baptist, then Jesus, then other preachers, teachers, evangelists, and prophets. He continued to verse five. But they paid no attention and went away. One to his own farm, another to his business. These people ignored the servants' invitations. They just continued their preoccupation with daily living, with personal pursuits, they, which is represented by their farms and their businesses. Now, these people, initially Jews, they thought they were secure in their standing. They were God's chosen people. So, they became preoccupied with personal selfish goals instead of responding to God's call. They were indifferent to his invitation. 
And you know, they represent people who are just, just consumed with life, not with necessarily doing anything evil. I mean, they're paying their bills, they're raising their families, they're conducting business, they're accumulating possessions. They're just, they're just living life. These people aren't antagonistic toward God. They don't claim to be atheists or agnostics. They're not pagans or worshiping idols. In fact, they typically assert belief in God. But they lack the interest, the motivation, the energy to pursue spiritual matters. They're more concerned with maintaining physical health than spiritual health. You know, JC was talking about run for God. It's good that you run, but running for God is better. You know, we do all kinds of recreation here. We do none of it because of recreation. Everything that we sponsor is to develop an affinity, a friendship, a relationship that becomes a spiritual relationship. So basketball is really not about basketball. Running's not about running. The why does that beautifully. And that's why we, we invite Brookwood people to build fellowship and bonds and people with no church. Because there are other, there are other community recreations. We're not in that business. You see what I'm saying? There has to be a spiritual purpose. But some are concerned with physical health, not, not spiritual health. They, they're consumed with managing relationships with family and friends rather than growing a relationship with Jesus. The more concerned with planning for retirement than preparing for eternity. Sound like anybody you know? Are we like those Jews? Ignoring God's call to fellowship, not out of antagonism, but you, you think you're secure, your, your eternal destination is settled. I mean, after all, you're American. You attend church, you give a little bit, you even serve sometimes. So you don't need to pay attention to that. So you can live a self-centered life instead of a God-centered one. You can pursue personal plans and interests and activities and instead of spending time in God's presence, seeking intimacy with him. Have you observed that doesn't just happen? If you want intimacy with God, it takes what? What? It takes time and effort. Something else is going to have to go. But isn't it interesting how we put all this time on the development of self and we think that God will just be there when we need him. And we wonder why in a crisis we are just completely freaking out and melting down. Because we haven't paid any attention to the most vital relationship of our lives. Now, some of these invited guests were offended. They were angered by the repeated invitations. And they responded to the king's servants very violently. Verse 6. And the others seized his slaves and killed them. Well, who do those murdered slaves represent? Martyrs, someone said, yeah. Martyrs throughout the ages. Certainly John the Baptist and Jesus himself, later Stephen and James and 
Peter, Paul, but other prophets, pastors, evangelists. You know, God's servants, messengers of the gospel, are being persecuted today throughout the world. Some reports are that this past decade is the decade of greater numbers of martyrs than ever in the history of the world. We, we don't see it here as much. But you know, our ministry partners, both Praveen Chakavarte in India and our friends in Liberia have had, have had their partners in ministry, other pastors murdered for their faith. Dennis Agri was tied to a tree for three days. I mean, they, they are beaten, they are attacked, some are murdered. Today, we don't see that level of violence in America yet, I hope never, but certainly there's a rising tide of opposition to Christianity and attempt to just silence us as though we have no right to speak the good news. In a nation that cries freedom of religion, but you folks shut up. And we live in a day when the Bible's standard of morality is considered intolerance and prejudice and phobia. So don't miss the changing culture. Verse 7. The king was enraged, so he sent out his troops, destroyed these murderers, and burned down their city. Now, some scholars think that that occurred in 70 AD when the Roman emperor Titus destroyed the temple and slaughtered 1.1 million Jews in the process. That was the second temple. That was Herod's temple. Solomon built the first temple. It's interesting, even today in the Middle East, in some of this discussion about the Temple Mount, there are numerous Muslim scholars claiming there's never been a temple built on the Temple Mount. Understand what day we live in. But it also speaks of final judgment. For all who reject the gospel when Jesus returns. The king's invitation is then received by all. Rejected by Jews. Then rejected by others. And then he told his slaves, the banquet is ready. But those who are invited are not worthy. Now what does that mean they're not worthy? Wasn't, wasn't that they weren't descendants of Abraham? Wasn't that they were unworthy ethnically or racially? Wasn't because they were socially unworthy, they had no merit? Wasn't, wasn't that they were morally flawed? They're only unworthy for one reason. You know what it is? Yeah. They refused the king's invitation. These unworthy people were God's chosen people. But, but when he started fulfilling the biblical teaching about the Messiah, they, 
rejected that. And they would not embrace his son. See, they said, okay, God, you can go this far. We'll accept this with these rules and regulations, the rituals of Judaism. But no, 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 we're not accepting this man from Nazareth as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of prophecy. We part with you here. So they were unworthy because they separated themselves from God's plan, from his invitation. And even the, the moral Jews, there were, there were Jews who tried to keep God's law. You know, we hear of Pharisees, we think, oh, they were terrible. But some of the Pharisees were really good men who were diligent in obeying every bit of the law. But it made him no more acceptable to God than the least moral Jews who violated God's law deliberately, freely. And it's just because no one, no one in this room, no person ever born, no descendant of Abraham, no Jew can be justified by keeping the law. The law exposes sin. The law reveals shortcoming. So obeying religious rules, keeping regulations, observing rituals don't suffice to make anyone acceptable to God and never has. If that were the process, the avenue to God, it would require perfection. And who's capable of that? When the invited guests, the Jews, refused his invitation, the king reached out to the world. And this is really where we come in. Verse 9. Therefore, go to the, where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out to the roads and gathered everyone they found both evil and good. See, there's no requirement of personal merit or goodness. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now, these are, this is where we're, I misspoke because this is when we were invited in. The second invitation was actually to Jews to come and receive the Son of God, another invitation. This includes us. We're the good and the bad. Mostly the bad, maybe. We were found out, found out on the roadways. We, we're Gentiles. There are a few of us who, here who aren't Gentiles. You know the little mighty might, Mindy, who works in the parking lot? She's a marine colonel, but also Jewish. And there are a few others, but not many of us are Jews in our lineage. But we were invited in when the Jews rejected Jesus. Romans 9, 25, 26. Romans 11, 11. But everyone's invited in, not, not because they're worthy, not because they have merit, not because they're good, not because they're popular, not because they're smart, not because they're wealthy. 
They're invited in because God is gracious. And no other reason. And that's why from Revelation 5 and 7, it says that there will be people in heaven from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. No one is worthy to receive salvation. Not based on human goodness, not based on spiritual accomplishment, not based on lineage, not based on who your family is. We're saved by saying yes to God's gracious invitation to receive his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord. Have you accepted that invitation? Have you? Let me see a few hands. Well, let me give you a warning. There's one condition to being admitted to the wedding feast. And we see it in this next point. The king's invitation required proper clothing. Verse 11. But when the king came in to view the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. Well, wasn't he invited? You think he was invited? He didn't crash the party. He got an invitation because remember, invitations went to everyone. But he arrived improperly attired for the wedding. Now you might think, well, this man was poor. He didn't own appropriate clothes, perhaps. But apparently, since everyone else had proper clothes, and many of them were the good and bad, the rich and the poor, the people brought in from the highways and the hedges. So what's implied is that the king offered appropriate clothing for the wedding. The king provided the garments. This gracious king even offered this man an opportunity to justify himself. And so he said at verse 12, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. I think there'll be people speechless at the end of the age. I think they'll be surprised that they've shown up improperly dressed for the wedding banquet of the son. Because they misunderstood the gospel and they took the invitation as the automatic admission. They're not the same. This man offered no excuse for lacking proper clothes. I mean, it appears he he could have acquired and worn the appropriate attire, but he refused. See, he, he chose to come to the feast in his own clothes, on his own terms, wearing what he wanted. I experienced that a few years ago on vacation. I went to a sandals resort. Oh, those are wonderful. Down in the Caribbean. 
I was made for the Sandals Resorts. <laughs> you, have, you have to save up pennies for a long time. So, you know, who's been to one of those resorts? You know what I'm saying? All inclusive, including the fun. You know how they advertise it. But they have these restaurants, and some of them, you have to have reservations to go to them. They're free. You don't pay any bills there when you've already paid. But some of them have a dress code. So I showed up at this restaurant, Leanne. Leanne keeps rules. She was properly attired. I had on shorts. I knew you were supposed to wear slacks. I just thought it wouldn't matter. I was a registered guest. I had paid for a room. I even had reservations in that restaurant. I knew the dress code. I just was more comfortable in shorts. We continue at 13. <laughs> then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man was improperly dressed, duly invited, improperly prepared. He was thrown out of the banquet into outer darkness, which represents what? Represents hell, which is, which is permanent, eternal separation from God. It says where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, we think of hell as being flames and perhaps it is and we think of physical pain, I think, but I don't think that's the agony of hell. This weeping and gnashing of teeth is more about the sorrow of unending regret. How many of us, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of us committed an act, said a word, did a deed some years ago, and we are still haunted by that misdeed, the regret. Hell is immeasurable, unending regret because I could have had a garment. Oh, back to the restaurant. I wasn't thrown into outer darkness, but I was sent back to my room. <laughs> and it was dark outside, and it was a long walk. And it's amazing how long a walk seems when you're humiliated. I didn't hear weeping and gnashing of teeth, but I did have to bear my embarrassment and regret. And I think I heard Leanne giggling as I walked to my room in shame. <laughs> the point, and I'm, it's a silly example, of course, and not of the nature of the seriousness of this parable, but I couldn't come on my own terms. 
I could make an argument about all the ways I was qualified to be there. Didn't matter. We can't attend the wedding feast of the Lamb without being properly dressed. You see, the wedding clothes, the wedding garments, some translations say, represent the righteousness of Christ received by faith. And so the righteousness of Christ covers our soiled lives. Our sinful selves with his purity, making us holy. Now see, we can argue, I'm not worse than others. Doesn't matter. Are you perfect? Well, I got an invitation. Doesn't matter. You aren't garbed correctly. And see, when you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, it seeps in. I'm afraid in America we have an unconverted Christianity which has more to do with going to church and praying a prayer, walking an aisle, doing some things without holiness. But the scripture says without holiness, no one will see God. And that's the holiness that comes from being covered by the righteousness of Christ. But there's also some personal holiness in there. You understand Because the transformation works from the inside out. It covers the outside, but it changes the inside. You got what I'm, everybody with me on this? So, you know, you ought to look different today than you did last year. And Jesus closes this parable with the statement. We've all heard this statement. This translation says, for many are invited, few are chosen. We know it more is for many are called, few are chosen. And people say, well, I don't, know. I don't believe in predestination. That's about, I don't even care about predestination. I don't even know if I can spell it. Here's what, here's what, what matters. See what I'm saying? Theology is not what matters. Relationship with Christ is what matters. We can spend our lives arguing theology. But I'm saying this, if you can get a garment and come in, you come on. You've been invited, but you won't come in on your own terms. For many are invited, for many are called. That means everyone is invited to the wedding feast. Do you know that? Do you know you're invited? You know, some of us say, well, there are places I'm left out of. And I know it. I mean, you know that. We live in a day where, oh, I live in a neighborhood with a gate. That means you cannot come in. Well, I got news for them. I just get behind a car who knows the code, and I come in anywhere I want to go. But that's beside the matter. That's about my rebelliousness. But, but everyone's invited. Everyone's invited. God wants none to perish and all to repent. See there? He wants none to perish. But he doesn't say you just come in if you want to. None to perish and all to repent. 
2 Peter 3, 9. But see, the invitation alone doesn't guarantee admission into heaven. Is everybody hearing this? Am I startling you with this statement? The invitation alone doesn't guarantee admission into heaven. We have to be properly dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Philippians 3.9, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that's why when people say, oh, I know my son is saved. He's living all out of bounds from God, but I know he's saved because he prayed a prayer when he was seven years old. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, is he clothed in righteousness? You understand? That's when, that's when God says, how'd you get in here? And we go, uh, but I, I went to church. I raised my hand at camp. I, where's your wedding garment? Where's, where's your Righteousness. It's offered to you. But you got to wear it, which means, you know what? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We come to him on his terms. Not on ours. You've been invited. Have you accepted? Glenn? But here's my other question. But are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? And you know what? Me asking you is not the best way to get at it. Me asking the person next to you is the way to get at it. See, I can ask Steph if you're clothed in righteousness and she'll know better than you. Because boy, we have a lot of these defenses built in, don't we? Justifications, excuses. uh, 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 There won't be any excuses. There won't be any justifications. The man was silent when God asked. I'm offering you a garment of righteousness. But I'm not offering your admission on your own terms. If you've accepted the invitation, if you've been clothed in righteousness, then you've been chosen, Daryl. You've been touched by the grace of God that changed you. You understand that? Do you understand what I'm talking about? And because you've been, not only have you been invited, you have this grand honor of being able to invite some others. So who'd you invite this week? Who'd you invite? You're you're not only the honored guest, you're also the servant sent to extend invitations. Soul training. This week, ask God whom, I think it may say who, but it should be whom he wants you to invite into the kingdom of heaven.
See, that means he's already working in them. Who will do that? Ask God. I'm looking. God, take a look at them. (laughs) And then whoever he places in your mind, puts in your path, pray for that person. Because you can't convert them. God's spirit does the converting. But then you, you talk humbly about Jesus. Will you do it? You could just bring them to church. That can be your easy start. But don't, again, don't peel people out of other churches. Find someone. There, our, our community's full of people that have no church attendance at all. Our counselors will be here. Come on up, counselors. And if you're in that place that I've talked to, you've heard the invitation and you thought that guaranteed admission, but you realize you really may not be clothed in a wedding garment of righteousness. Can I pray with someone about that? Will someone seek God with me and for me? These counselors are here. They'll remain as long as you need for them to. There also will be oil in these baskets and they'll be happy to anoint you with oil. Just a touch. They won't pour the whole bottle on you. And just pray. If you need, if you need physical healing, if you need emotional healing, if you just need strength, then we ask by the oil The oil represents the presence of the Spirit of God. And he's the comforter, the counselor, the healer. And he does all things. So let me close in prayer. And then these counselors will remain as long as you need for them to. God, we thank you for your goodness. But I pray for myself and for these people, Lord, that you would clear up any misunderstanding they might have about the good news. Lord, I pray that we won't look to some decision we made decades ago to secure our salvation so we can become obsessed with daily life. But Lord, I plead on behalf of our church, that that you would save many, that you would clear misunderstanding, that you would cover many with a garment of righteousness provided by you, not by our efforts or our giving or our service, but by your grace. We thank you for your grace. Amen. Thank you for coming.